Yeah, okay, all right, let's get started. I'm Kotz, and uh, we're continuing our series called 316. We're going through John 316, word by word or phrase by phrase. And uh, I'm not even going to test you to see if you memorized John 316, but here it is. This is the NIV version. This is the one we always use. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The yellow you see here on the screen are the parts we already went through. Today, we're moving on to the next phrase, which is, next slide, believes in him, believes in him. Now, in the Greek, it's pisteu on, it's pisteu on ace auton. Auton means man or him or person. Okay, now the root word there is the word pistis. This is what it looks like, pistis. Or some people say pistis, but it sounds like I'm saying I'm pissed. So pistis is for today. Okay. And if you're wondering what pistis means, pistis means in the verb form, it means believe, right? That's why it's translated that in John 3.16. But it's also a noun. And the noun version of pistis is faith. And actually, this is a better translation, except in English, there's no verb form of faith. It's like, hey, um, you know, you need to faith in Jesus, right? Like, there's no verb form of faith. So we use the word believe. And here's the problem. Um, the word pistis doesn't have a good equivalent in English. And faith or believe is probably the closest, but in other translations, they might use the word trust. And you're going to find out today why people prefer the word trust. Some people use the word loyalty, you know, people who show loyalty to Christ, right? So, um, like I said, there's no good English tra- uh, equivalent to the word. Um, so... Um, today we're going to do something a little interesting, a little different, okay? So I'm going to give you a little roadmap of what's happening so you don't get lost, so I stay on track and you don't get lost. So here it is. We're going to start by going over John 3.16. We just did that, so check, right? Okay, next, we're going to introduce you the word pistis. Whoa, we just did that too. Check, okay. Next, what does faith mean? We haven't done that yet, okay? And then we're going to go back to John 3.16, Okay, and we're going to plug that definition back into the verse to see if it illuminates us, if, if we, you know, have a deeper understanding, or if it just confuses us more. We'll see, okay? So if you look at this roadmap, you'll realize that we're already halfway through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so because we did the first two steps, we're going to talk about the word faith. Now, we're not going to just look at any version of the word faith. We're going to be asking the question, what does biblical faith, oh, next slide, what does biblical faith look like? What is it? What does it mean? And the reason why I use the word biblical faith here is because faith, whatever the context is, it can mean different things. Today we're talking about the word faith as it is used in the scriptures. And let me tell you this before I get started, and this might offend some. I hope it doesn't. Um, I'm not trying to offend anybody. There's been a lot of bad teachings out there about what faith means, okay? There's been really bad... So. When I was in college, I went to a, a, a healing service, you know, so people are speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff. And there was this person who was limping, and uh, they were praying over this person, you know, and the preacher kept on saying, you know, you have the faith to be healed. You know, I will never preach like that because I don't have the soul to do that. But right, like, you'll be healed, right? And he wasn't healed. So he prays on him again, ah! and he's like, oh, you know, and then he's still like limping. And then the preacher said, that's because you don't have enough faith. So what is biblical faith, right? And we're going to talk about that. And by the way, I'm not dissing that preacher. 
um, because I understand how he arrived at that conclusion, okay? And it's not his fault. It's actually the fault of some Greek words. And yeah, you'll learn more Greek words today. So what is faith? What is biblical faith? Okay, well, it's actually pretty ambiguous. It's really hard to tell. But lucky for us, fortunate for all of us, there is a whole chapter in the Bible that tells you what faith is, what biblical faith is, okay? And not only that, okay, the first verse of this chapter tells you the definition of faith, okay? And in case you don't understand the definition, because that definition is still kind of like, huh, what did he say, right? He gives you the rest of the chapters of examples of people who were faithful in the scriptures. So if you don't understand the definition, they give you examples afterwards. So we're going to be looking at all that today. Okay, so what is this chapter that defines for us what faith is? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Okay, now, when I put this on the screen, you're going to notice there's two words that you probably don't know. That's on purpose. Okay, here we go. Faith is, so already this author is like, let me tell you what faith is. Faith is the upostasis. This is a Greek word. We'll come back to that. Faith is the upostasis of things hoped for, the elenkos of things not seen. Faith is the upostasis of things hoped for, the elenkos, elenkos, I think, of things not seen. Why did I put the Greek words there? Okay. The reason is because depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, and there's lots of translations out there, they translate these two Greek words differently. There are usually two camps, okay? Now, every time I use scripture here during service, I always use the NIV version. That's New International Version because it seems to be a good mixture of like scholarly, but also like they use like common language. It's like a good middle ground, right? And if there's ever a word I feel like, com like compromised a little too much, for the common language side, you know, I usually stop and show you what the word really says, right? So if you have the NIV, if you've used the ESV, English Standard Version, if you use the NASB, the New American Standard Version, this is how your translation tr translates this, these two words. Faith is the assurance. Faith is assurance or the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so maybe your Bible says this. Now, if it says this, it has implications to it. The implication is this, that faith is an internal mindset. It's the way you see the world. It's, it's, like, a, it's like the faith healer I just told you about. When God is supposedly doing something to you and you don't feel the effects of it, you start telling yourself, it's because I don't have enough faith. It's an internal thing. So what happens? You start forcing yourself. You start having this, this conflict inside of you. It's like, come on, Kotz, have more faith. Come on, come on, I need to believe more. Come on, I could do this, I could do this, right? If I just had more faith, then blah, 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 blah. I would be more blessed if I had more faith. I just can't get myself to believe this. No, no, stop, that's negative talk. I, no, no, I do believe this is gonna happen. It's an internal thing. You have to convince yourself. You start telling yourself, like, I, I hope it's true. No, it is true. Now, if you use a different version of the Bible, like the King James Version, New King James, the Common English Version, the CEV, then this is how it's translated. Faith is the substance or the reality of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If this is the version you have, then faith to you is based on evidence. You are doing something, 
and you thought you saw something and you took a double look and you're like, I thought I just saw something. And it makes you think maybe there's more to this world than you think there is. You just experienced something. Or you heard something. What was that? Was that the voice of God? I'm not sure. I, th- there, there might be more to this. I just felt something. I was in a moment of worship and then as I was singing, I just felt this tugging in my heart. Maybe there's more to this world than what I see. I've tasted a bit of heaven on earth, and now I realize that God must be doing something. And I believe, you know, you could disagree with me, by the way, this, no, this is not a make or break thing. I believe that this is a better translation of, for the word, a better definition of the word faith. And I'll give you an example of what my professor taught me. My professor, so this illustration is not mine, my professor. Um, it was around like February, March. It was really cold when I was back in seminary in LA. It was like 49, 50 degrees, okay? And we're all wearing these heavy jackets. And he comes in wearing his T-shirt, right? And well, it's not a T-shirt, it's like a button shirt with a tie, but it's like short sleeve. And he comes in and he looks at us taking off our jackets and he tells us like, you guys are so weak. And we're like, but professor, it's so cold, right? He's like, you know where I'm from? I'm from Wisconsin. You're like, you know how cold it gets in Wisconsin? And I remember this, zero degrees Fahrenheit. Like, that's negative 18 degrees Celsius, this below freezing temperature. And for those of you guys who've been there, you probably know exactly what he's talking about. I don't know what he's talking about, but he's like, this is, you know, like, this is like, at 49 degrees, we're wearing shorts, man. We're wearing flip-flops. I'm <laughs> like, what? Right? And then he started his lesson, and his lesson was about faith. And as he's talking about it, he's like, oh, I have the perfect illustration. You know how you guys came in with your jackets and everything? Well, in Wisconsin, it is cold. We don't even go outside. It's so cold. But every once in a while, people start joking about how this winter is eternal. It's never going to end, right? And so somebody's like, well, how do you know when spring is around the corner? It's like, well, when you go outside and look in the snow, every once in a while, you'll see this. Do you guys know what this is? Flowers. Yes, flowers. What kind of flowers? Purple flowers, very good, okay. They also come in yellow and orange, by the way. They're called, the crocus, yes, the crocus flower. Mm, awesome. They said that when you see a crocus, no matter how cold it is outside, it's a sign that it's about to become spring, that spring is coming, it's right around the corner. Everything else around you makes you think that no, winter is eternal, but when you see the crocus flower, you're like, oh, wait a minute, spring is here, or it's around the corner. See, this is what he means by, it is a substance of things you hope for, evidence of things not seen. You thought you saw, you thought you felt something, you thought you heard something, and you're like, there must be more to this world than meets the eye. I have evidence, I could point to something, right? It's not blind faith. It's not like, you're like, you know what? Eternal winter, no, the spring is coming. Evidence, (laughs) no, I just believe it, and I believe it so hard it's gonna happen. When the Bible, biblical authors talk about faith, they always make it clear that biblical faith is not blind. It is not blind. If you believe in something without any kind of evidence, that's called stupidity, <laughs> okay? Not to offend anybody. <laughs> well, I just, okay, I might have, okay, but, okay, but I'm just, I'm a teaching pastor, I'm just teaching you right now, okay. There's evidence. You see a crocus flower and you're like, spring is here. That's evidence. And if somebody questions you, you're like, right over there. And they're like, oh, you're right, right? And my professor went on to say, when we see a crocus flower, 
We go out to the shop, the, the, the department stores, and we start buying shorts because they're discounted because it's still cold. We buy t-shirts, we buy tank tops, right? And if you live near a beach, which <laughs> not over there, but it's like saying, I'm gonna go buy, the ba- buy a bathing suit when it's still snowing outside because it's cheaper that way, right? But because you have so much faith, you saw the evidence of spring around the corner, it's so compelling to you that you're willing to act on it. That is faith, okay? Winter is not eternal, faith. Okay, so biblical faith is to live out a hope based in evidence. This is the main point. Like, if you're gonna fall asleep after this, make sure you write this down, then take your nap, okay? Because as much as you'd like to think that my sermons go on forever and ever, you have to have faith that there is an ending to this, all right? Okay, so this is the main point. I'm gonna come back to this several times just to make sure that you get it, because this is so important, because faith is such a key part of what we do as Christians, right? Our faith is so important. So going back to that uh, definition of the author of Hebrews, he said this is what it is. And then after that, I told you, there's a lot of examples, right? He's like, here's this biblical character. So if you read on on your own, like in the next few verses, it says that, hey, there was a guy named Abel. Abel was able to offer a better gift to God than his brother Cain because he had faith, right? What that means is, Abel, doesn't say in the book of Genesis, but we're led to believe that Abel saw evidence of things that God might want, right? And so based on that evidence, he gave a gift to God and God was pleased with that gift. And then he gives another example of like Noah. Noah's like, I don't live near an ocean. Why am I making a boat, right? He's like, well, he had faith. He saw evidence that God is reliable. And so when God said, build that ark, he was like, "Hmm, okay, how big? Well, that big, why? It's like, just build it. Like he had faith because he saw evidence and he acted on it. And then around verse 11, we come across a character that we're gonna kind of stop and to look at this person's story. Okay, um, there we go. Okay, so we come to this character named Sarah. Okay, it goes like this. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age. Okay, so this lady, was she's like 80 late 80s, early 90s, okay, so was enabled to bear children. It's like, whoa, that's a crazy miracle story, right? And let's, but how did that happen? Because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. The word considered right here is the word, is the Greek word that means to act as governor. That means she saw the biological mess that she was in. She was like, I'm too old to have a child. And then she looked at the character of God. And she looked at both and said, well, I know it's impossible to have a kid at this age, but I have, I have experience with God. And over and over and over again, God has shown himself to be faithful. He gave us a promise saying that I will bear a child that will eventually become a big nation, right? So which one do I look at? And based on the evidence that she had of her experience with God, she said, I believe that this is actually gonna happen. This is what this verse is implying. She looked at the evidence and she said, I choose to go believing in this direction because of the evidence that was given to me. And what was the outcome of that story? Next verse. And so from this one man, he's talking about her husband, Abraham, <laughs> and he is as good as dead because he was 10 years older than her, <laughs> right? Meaning that he had very, l- this is an ancient way of saying that he was so old that he had little life in him, meaning like he didn't have the means to procreate, if you get my drift. Okay. Um, but from, from these two people who had faith 
came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sands in the seashore. Let me translate this for you. They were given a promise that through Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have numerous people, like, like descendants, like as numerous as the stars, right? And from that, there's going to be a way to save the world, which we know to be Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is saying, do you guys realize because of their faith, they inadvertently, they actually saved the world. Like you as Christians exist today because of these two guys, because of their faith. And that's why when we say, oh, look at their faith, you know, Abram and Sarah's faith, we credit to them as righteousness because they had no idea that by believing in the right things, they were able to make a big difference in the world. Well, why, why did you choose to do that? Sarah would say, the crocus flower. I have evidence to believe that this is exactly what I'm supposed to believe right now. The writer of Hebrews, he continues on a few verses later in verse 17. He focuses on their life a few years after this story. Abraham has a son now. His name is Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham hears a voice from the Lord, and the voice of the Lord says, Hey, uh, Abraham, you know your only son, Isaac, that took you about 100 years to have? Um, I want you to go up that mountain, sacrifice your son. And he's like, did I, did I hear you right? Maybe I misheard you. I'm not, are you sure? That seems to go contrary to what you've been, okay, well, I'm going to be obedient. Now, watch what the author of Hebrews says about this story. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though, meaning, like, this is against his, like, everything, right? Like, like, this doesn't seem right. Even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac, your son, that your offspring will be reckoned. So he's like, this is weird. God has said that through my son, there's going to be a nation, eventually through my, these, this nation, there's going to be somebody that's going to save the world. Um, this seems to be contrary to everything you've told me so far, right? And then he says, Abraham reasoned, and this is the Greek word here that means to keep in view, to keep your eye on something, right? Abraham reasoned, kept his eye on the fact that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead, so from death. So what he's saying here is this. He's saying, wow, he wants me to kill my son? There's no way. This seems to be opposite of what God would want. And so he was like, I'm going to do this, but while I'm doing this, I'm going to keep my mind on the fact that God has been trying to do something amazing through my offspring, right? So he's like, this seems contrary, but I'm going to keep my mind on that. I'm going to keep my thumb on that as I do what God told me to do, right? This is the author's way of saying this. When it came to faith, he's like, there's no way that God's going to make me go through with this. And in the story, he actually raises his dagger and he's about to strike, and then he stopped him, right? It's like, God's like, stop, what are you doing? Abraham knew that that was going to happen, according to this author, because he knew that this was against God's character. He said, the very fact that I have a son, years and years of trying, and finally we have a son, at my old age we have a son, and just like God promised me. The fact that I have a son means that God is a, is a man of his word, right? And I'm going to put my trust in that. So he says, he has faith because he saw the evidence of God in his story. He pulled me out of a place called Ur. He gave me a home. He gave me a group of people. He gave me blessings. He gave me a promise. He gave me all these things. And he, he 
He kept his word every step of the way. Why would he break his promise now? He kept his mind on that as he went through with the motions of what God told him to do. And at that point, God says, you have faith. Good job. Okay? So once again, biblical faith is to live out a hope based in evidence. So I hope you're getting the idea of what faith is, biblical faith is. Now, this definition of faith carries on through the rest of the Bible, okay? For example, in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul. He's met the resurrected Christ. That's his evidence. He's like, oh my gosh, Jesus is who he said he was, huh, right? He eventually goes off on this journey to other parts of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's telling people about it, and notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, guys, you gotta believe me. There's a guy who died three days later, he came back to life, and he's actually the son of God. You gotta believe me. Do you have any evidence? No, no, you just have to, you know, just take my word for it. Let me give you a very good sermon with some inspirational music playing in the background, and maybe you'll believe me. Like, there's none of that happening in the New Testament. Because faith is based on evidence. So what does Paul say? Paul says this, he says, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, there were over 500 people who witnessed it. And he even lists some of the names because those people are still alive. It's like, if you want evidence, you go and talk to these people and they will tell you. People who don't know each other, they will come to you and give you the exact same story because it actually happened. If you want evidence, go talk to these people. And then he'll say something like this. He'll say, for me, I, I saw Jesus die on the cross and I saw him resurrected. And for that reason, my evidence, my crocus flower, I believe that he is the Lord of the world. So, Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. The, the definition of faith is this, that there's a belief system that's based on evidence, okay? But there's a second part to it because believing isn't a good translation of the word faith. That there's a second part to it, which is this. There's actions that's consistent with the belief. So, I'm gonna do two illustrations, okay? One is an object lesson. Another one is just a story. But there's two parts to faith, right? So let's start with the first one. Belief based on evidence. Okay. So if I were to say, this is me putting myself out there, okay? I have faith that there's a chair behind me. I didn't look back there. I just know there's a chair back there because I believe it. Okay, so I'm going to go sit down now. Okay? And that would be just stupidity, right? Because... Right. No matter how hard I believe it, it's not there. Yeah, it's not there, okay? <laughs> right? Now, pretend I'm not doing this. If I were to put this chair here, okay? But I don't know that it's back there. I have seen a chair back there in the past few weeks, okay? So it might be there. But right now, I don't know if it's back there or not, right? Okay. Yeah? Right here? This way? Right here? No, no, this way. This way? Help me out, people. This way? Wait, Larry's saying this way. Oh, no. Kristen's telling me this way. Right here? Right here? No? Here? Okay, I'm going to sit down. Okay, here we go. Oh, yes! <laughs> okay, okay. Now, this is what faith is in the Bible, okay? So, for belief, this belief based on evidence, the first thing you need to have is foreknowledge, okay? Like, I've seen a chair before. It's probably there. I'm not exactly sure. But there's a second part to this. In order to have biblical faith, you need a community. You need a community. Now, notice what I did. 
I was looking at you, right, my faith community, and you were telling me, yes, no, yes, no. Some people are trying to make me fall, okay? <laughs> but, no, this is perfect, actually. This is perfect because you know who I looked at most? I looked at the people in my life group because I trust them, <laughs> okay? And when I realized that some of them weren't participating, I looked at my wife because I could trust her, right? So same with your, your, your belief, your, your, your faith, okay? So there are people that you probably are more connected to in the church, and you look to them for assistance. And they'll say, yeah, no, 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 I was in that same situation a few years ago, and this is the prayer that I offered, and then things started changing. Or, hey, I know, I know what it feels like to have somebody at work that you just don't trust and you can't love on, but, you know, uh, this is what I did, and, you know, maybe these baby steps will help you to help me, right? This is what faith looks like. There's evidence that's based on foreknowledge and the community of people who might have walked in the steps that you're walking in right now, okay? So that's the belief part of faith. But there's a second part, right? Because we talked about this. There's belief, but there's also action that's consistent with belief. Now, this part right here gets misunderstood a lot. And so for this, I'm going to give you a little story, okay? We don't need this anymore. Okay, so next slide. Here we go. So action's consistent with belief. And this is actually an illustration that a lot of preachers like to give. So again, not original with me, um, but whenever somebody gives a talk about sermons, uh, about about um, faith, they often use this illustration. So here it is. So a long, long time ago, there's a guy named Blondin. Blondin. He was known as like this tight rope walker guy. And he would cross the Niagara Falls, right? And there'll be a big crowd around Niagara Falls. Everyone's like, yeah, Blondin, Blondin. And the reason why I know this story is because in this story, the name Blondin comes up so many times, you can't forget the name after the story, right? Anyways, so he's like doing typewalk, right? And he goes and comes back. He has that long stick. I don't know the proper terminology. I've never done this before. But he does it, he goes and comes back. And was like, Blondin, Blondin, yeah, right? And he says, now I'm gonna cross the Niagara Falls on this tightrope without that long stick. Who thinks I could do it? And was like, Blondin, Blondin. And he's like, okay, okay, and he does it. It comes back, and I was like, woo, Blondin. It's like, how many of you guys think that I could walk across this rope without that little stick, right, the long stick, but with, and also with blindfolds on? They're like, Blondin, Blondin. It's like, okay, here it is. So he, you know, he puts on his blindfold. He walks across. He comes back, takes off his blindfold. Everyone's like, Blondin, Blondin, yeah. Right. You're going to be cheering for him by the end of the story, too. Okay, the next he said, how many of you guys believe that I could take this barrel with the with the with the blindfolds across this you know Niagara Falls and come back. I was like Blondin, Blondin. So he takes a barrel and he's carrying it. He goes and comes back and it's like yeah. I was like Blondin, Blondin, woo. Yeah, this is like back then. This is like their version of Taylor Swift, right? I guess you know. But he was at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and then next he's like, how many of you guys think that I could put this barrel in this wheelbarrow and cross the tightrope and come back blindfolded? I was like, Blondin, Blondin. And he, he does it. He comes back. And ta-da. And I was like, yeah. This story would be bad if he actually fell on one of these things, but he doesn't. Okay. Next, he said, how many of you guys think that I could take this bag of sack of potatoes, put it in the barrel that's in the wheelbarrow, blindfolded, go across and come back? I was like, Blondin, Blondin. So he does it. He goes. He comes back. And it's shaky a little bit, but he comes back. And he's like, ah. And I was like, yeah, Blondin, Blondin. Yeah. You know, this... Yeah, it must have been a lot of excitement back then. So, um, and then he said, how many of you guys think that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow, take out the potatoes, but put the, you know, and 
in the barrel, in the wheelbarrow, blindfolded, across and come back. Everyone's like, Blondin, Blondin. It's like, yeah. He's like, then I need a volunteer. And everybody just gets quiet. <laughs> right? Now, actions consistent with belief. These people believed that Blondin could do it, right? But as soon as they said, who wants to put their lives on the line, they said nothing. Now, this is where this illustration departs from what I hear typical preachers talk about here, okay? The application to this point is not, if you believe it, you got to muster up some more courage to actually put your life on the line. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying... Okay, I've seen Blondin do it several times. I saw him, saw him do it with, 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 um, with some potatoes. Okay, I, I could see that happening. Um, okay, but I believe that he could do it with a person, so I need to put myself in that barrel. <sighs> okay, come on, come on, Koss, I could do this. Okay, one foot in, the other foot in, let's do this. Okay, Blondin, let's go. Like, that's not the point of the sermon. That's actually not faith. Why? Because faith, the action is an evidence of belief. It's not that because you act on it that you believe it. It's because you believe it that it's just natural for you to just do it. Right? It's like the faith healer illustration I gave you guys. If you're telling yourself, I need to have more faith, I need to believe it more, I need to believe it more, otherwise I'm not going to be healed, that's not faith. It is not forced, but it's natural. I'll give you an example of this. If you're sick, or let's just say your friend is sick, and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to go over there and pray for that person. Yeah. That's faith. If your friend is sick, and you're like, come on, God, you just got to get go there and pray, and maybe something will happen. That's not faith. Because in that case, your actions are followed by your belief. Faith is, you believe it so much that you're doing something, you're like, oh my gosh, I guess I do believe this stuff. That's faith. You're not forcing yourself to do something. Faith is the evidence. Uh, the action is the evidence of what you already believe. Do you see the distinction there? So whenever you're in a situation when somebody's like, it's because you lack faith, you know, right? That's not faith. And because of this, and I'll give you more examples of what faith looks like, especially in the first century church. People saw faith in the way that I just described it to you guys. And for that reason, in the first century church, faith was the reason for generosity, forgiveness, prayer, and all the other stuff that you probably read about. They see somebody who's in need. And they're like, oh my gosh, here, have some of my money, have some of my food, have some of my resources. They weren't thinking, it's so much better if I just hold on to this on my own, right? Because I could use it for other things and I, you know, more security in my life, that's be good, right? But I'm supposed to believe that by giving stuff to them that it's making God happy. Okay, so I'm, oh, should I do this? You know, right? That's not faith. Just being like, oh my gosh, here you go. And then later on you're realizing, oh my gosh, I do believe this stuff because I just did it without even thinking. That's faith. Do you see how the order actually matters? It's not because of your actions that you have faith. Oh, no, no, it's not because you forced yourself to do something that becomes faith. It's because you did something without thinking about it because you just believe it so deeply. That's faith. It's when you say, oh, I guess I do believe this stuff. That's faith. Okay, so one more time. Biblical faith is to live out a hope based in evidence. I'm hoping that this is more clear, 
right? Now, okay, let's go to the last step that I talked about. Let's take this definition and plug it into John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever has faith, whoever has seen evidence. Remember, when this was written, they saw Jesus die and rise again, and that was their evidence. They were like, oh my goodness. So I guess that means everything else is true. Everything that Jesus said must be true. I mean, I don't know how many people here are able to predict their death and pull it off and actually come back to life after that. Jesus did, okay? And they're like, that's enough evidence for me. They took that evidence and said, Jesus also talked about how because he all lives, that we will also live. He also talked about how wherever he went, he brought heaven with him. And he said that as people who follow him, we have the same power. The power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that we possess, Wherever, people, wherever Jesus went, people experienced a bit of heaven, right? And they, they had reason to believe that, like, with, by that evidence, by that crocus flower, that's enough evidence for me to believe the things I'm doing. And so people went out around praying for people, and people, some people were healed, and they're like, oh, you know what? I actually do believe this stuff because I was praying for people as if they would have been healed. And you're like, oh, gosh, I do believe this stuff. And people were like, let me forgive, forgive you. Why, why would they forgive somebody? It just makes more sense to avoid the people that you've wronged, right? Or the people who have wronged you. But why do these people say, no, I'm going to take the time to actually work the tension inside of me to forgive you? Why? Because they believed, based on the evidence of Jesus' resurrection, they believed that in the future, heaven and earth will meet. And when that happens, we'll all be together. And if we're all going to be together, we might as well start forgiving people now, Right? They started doing these things because they believed, based on the evidence, that that's our future. And the future, like, why do we try to heal people? Like, people, everybody dies eventually, right? Why do we try to heal people? Why do we take them to the hospital? Why? Well, because we know that life doesn't end at death. There is a future. And in this future, there's no death, there's no disease. There's no more tears. And if that's true, why not get started now? Right? People in the first century church, all the crazy stuff you read about, forgiveness, generosity, all these crazy things. They did these things because they had faith based on the evidence they saw and they acted it out. That's what faith is. So let me ask you a question. I'll close with this. Do you think you have faith? And the reason why I ask this is not because I think people here are lacking faith. I think there are people here who have faith, but you're convinced that you don't. You guys are doing, like, why would you come to church on Sunday? You know you could be out there making money. Instead, you're taking time to come here and not make money, unless, you know, there's other ways you're doing it. But, right? You could be sleeping in, catching up on your sleep. Why are you here? It's because you saw the evidence, you saw God move, and you're like, there must be more to this life than just what I do Monday through Saturday. You come here, and you're like, there must be a God. So I worship God on Sunday mornings, you know, with my community, because you have faith. Now, it's not like, I'm going to go to church so I can build my faith. I heard people say that, but it's actually the other way around. Because you have faith, you come to church on a Sunday morning. If you pray, that means you have faith. I think a lot of people here don't give themselves enough credit for having faith. You guys have faith, okay? And if you feel like you want to strengthen your faith, that's what the community is for right? You have a community of people who could point to a crocus flower and say, hey, look, 
This is what happened in my life. That's my evidence. Hey, one time this is happening and God showed up in a way that I can't describe. That's my crocus flower. And through people's testimonies coming together, we all experience heaven together. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.